0: Welcome to the Bristol Con Fringe, a series of readings from the science fiction and fantasy community. This podcast was recorded in front of a live audience in the center of Bristol.
1: Really, you're, you're enjoying destroying the world here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the <just> charming you're? <laughs> uh, well, yes, I suppose that was really. <laughs> you know, you, you can you can you can go through every little sort of detail and crevice, and you know, every stone. Nothing gets left unturned. <laughs> really. You know, the tornadoes and hurricanes and. You know, I imagine Virginia must have gone through this trying to create another world. But you know, as a writer, you can you can you can cast out the net and, and, and just let the imagination roam what must it like, must it be like.
0: So Virginia, just is it something very interesting when he are talking about? So, James of ISIS, he, he thought it was boring setting your book after the apocalypse. So you should set it in the middle of the apocalypse because then so you get to destroy everything. Now, clearly you've, you've taken another view. Are there any, any comments on that? Um, oh, I do love a good apocalypse. Um, no, I think I
2: would really like to write the prequel. To, to Who Runs the World. I would really like to write that. I probably won't, but, but I would like to. Um, I think also I kind of got turned away a bit from that because my the first two books, The, the Rain is an Apocalypse s- story and The Storm is a sort of immediate dystopian situation that arises out of that. So I sort of felt like I needed to move on a bit. So in this, um, in Who Runs the World, I've made the apocalypse and kind of ancient history to the two protagonists. Mm. Ted there was. Mm.
0: Now, obviously, we're going to get on to the subject of feminism in a little while because <laughs> I can't leave really me off that for too long. Um, but Justin, one of the things that's interesting about June's of Isis is that it's actually centered on this, this childbirth thing that, that, that you read. Why, why did you choose to have that particular element into your virgin apocalypse?
1: There the, some the, spoilers I mean, the scenario that I imagined in, in, in the world of creative was that the situation of the fallen angels you know, from, from biblical reference, that produced these, these monsters, these hybrids. Uh, the human race was not able to uh, procreate because if they did, they produced more hybrids. So there was an impasse. Uh, so that was the crisis. Um, and the way through the impasse was, was you know, some, uh, again, not to spoil us, but um, there was a kind of special dispensation, if you like, this particular uh, lady woman who was able to give birth to a child um, which which would you know, human rights. Uh, I mean there's obviously some details missing there <laughs> which I'm not going to fill in because that would be more spoiled. that goes somewhere to expect that. So when we had the human
0: here last week, last month he talked about having done some practical research on looking after babies in order to write um, the, the vagrant uh, in particular because was uh, a character in there that's a baby. So, did, did you actually get into a lot of research about childbirth so you could write this stuff?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: it's all very realistic. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah. Excellent. Glad <laughs> well, we'll to hear people to oh, I'm Sorry, I'm in the middle of writing my space. Read to me or really cool, uh, Story for the anthology. Whatever. Yeah. Now, on, on the subject of babies, for you know, mostly when people write feminist science fiction, uh, and they, they get rid of all men, they invent some form of genesis so that women can do without men entirely, and they can get rid of them all. But You've kept some of them alive and kept society dependent on them. That's an interesting choice. Yes, I did. Well, I wondered
2: about so many things when I was writing this story, and um, pathogenesis was, was one of them, was one option. Um, but I thought it would be a lot more interesting if there were men still alive and um, to have. That value in the outside world, almost overnight, changed from all the different ways in which men are currently valuable to being your sole use to society is your ability to produce sperm. And um, yes, I, um, I thought that that would be quite a powerful take. On relations between women and men. But um, to, to change the link, I'm going to start
0: off the microphone on me. It's sort of a handmaid's tale, isn't it? Yes, it is.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's really tempting because we're, and we're all adults in this room to, to kind of play to, to the crowd a bit here, and we can all have a giggle about some of the things that we've had to deal with in, in life. But I promise you, I didn't do much giggling writing the story, I had to think very long and hard about what I was doing and how I was doing it and how these people would speak and the decisions that they would make. But the story, may I say it? The the story kind of came about, not because of The Handmaid's Tale, which is very much kind of in in my head as a very important book in, in my life, but because a teen friend of mine told me that she was reading Tess the D'Urbervilles at school. And I read that book about 35 years ago. And the thought that generations, this is not about literary merits, it's not about the critical analysis of the story, just the thought that generations of teens, that those books you read in school are so important, and the thought that generations of teens have been reading this tale in which Tess is the just, Total victim of patriarchy, and men are cruel oppressors. And it, it made my blood boil actually to think that that story, these teen, teens are still reading this story. And I just wonder is there another way, is there another story we can tell here? Because there's something completely different, a completely different story that um, I could possibly tell. We
0: got set that book when I was in school. Oh, I'm <laughs> Well done. <laughs> Um, Yeah, so, because the the important question I have to ask you is is the the source of this thing that wipes out all the men because we've been hearing over the past few hours that the secret feminist cabal is bent on destroying all men in the world. (laughs) You want to use the same awful (laughs) thing (laughs) that is is happening. And it it occurs to me that, that perhaps the thing that wiped out all the men in your book is a direct result of a woman being asked to stop
2: This is obviously true. <laughs> I, am, um, yeah. <laughs> See, I'm being, I'm, you're going to make me be naughty again. Um, You know, it's unclear how the virus arose. There's not too much detail about it. Again, partly because in the previous two books I wrote, uh, there basically is a biological thriller told to you by a 14-year-old who isn't remotely interested in biology and science. So I had a nightmare trying to get the science in there. And this time around, I thought, great, there's 60 years in the past. I'm going to skip on the research. I'll just make up something, because no one ever believes the science in the first two books is is accurate, which it completely is. So, you know, why not just make it up? And um, it's never spelt out. Uh, It appears never to have been understood how this virus evolved. I did, when I had finished writing, I'm so bad at research compared to you. I waited till I finished, and then I went to see, I have really lovely um, microbiologist friend at the university of bristol dr matthew averson who has been incredibly helpful with with the first two books and i and i um, talked to him about the hazy thing that i come up with to explain what had happened in this book and he reckons it's a runner like this could it, it's totally scientifically possible apparently which is a bit of a result <laughs> but there is a rumor it, it is mentioned in, in the course of the story that there is a rumor women deliberately introduce the virus. <laughs> it's just a rumor. It just gets mentioned from time to time. I'm sure it can't possibly be true.
3: <laughs> do you know the answer? Do you know the answer? <laughs> no. I <laughs> <laughs> you know wouldn't say. Yeah,
1: that is me, uh, what I would do. I would find a way, because every... Because you know men man, I'm just using women. Yeah. Yes. yes. Well, yeah. Yeah. Every, every fetus is female. Yeah. yeah it is. <laughs> <laughs> so all you've got to do is stop the female fetus from changing to a man. Then you'll have all females.
0: don't know how you do that. The way you do that is either with complete autogen insensitivity syndrome or with swire syndrome, either of which will work perfectly, and all of your babies will uh, be born appearing to be female, uh, and but of course only about half of them will be reproductively capable, and then half of them will have X, Y chromosomes. And the problem is that if your virus targets the Y chromosome, it will get all of those, those yeah. people regardless. And of course, I'd be up shit green. <laughs> But
2: then again, see, it's it's complicated. This stuff. Um, indeed, it is. And um, uh, it, you're right. It was. I mean, it's cold, hard, brutal biology. And it's um uh it the, the virus targeted anyone with a Y chromosome. And but we humans are quite um, amazing. We can have all sorts of combinations. At least half a dozen that I know of, and, and probably more of X's and Y's. But one Y chromosome was enough to see you taken out in this story. Which was which is pretty harsh, but it was the only way I could see, oh I can tell you about this stuff, because you're sci-fi writers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but it was the only way when I was trying to think, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? It was the only, it was the best way I could see to just change the world like like that and no one's to blame, allegedly. For, for, for the introduction of, the, of this virus, it's just something awful that, that happened. Whereas I have been thinking about colonies on other planets, I've been thinking about just completely reimagining the past, I've been coming up with all kinds of different scenarios, but this one seemed kind of a little brutal perhaps,
0: but, but pretty straightforward. It probably won't surprise you that you're not the first person to have written a book in Before the men die. Um, there are. <laughs> There are a number of male science fiction writers out there who maintain that the, the prevalence of feminist science fiction novels in, in which all the men die is cast-iron proof that feminists hate men and want to kill them all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and this is... I don't hate men, and I don't want to kill them really. all. No. Them no. <laughs> My career is over. <laughs> My, um, I can't tell you how strongly I needed and wanted this to be a book that teen boys would read um, and would be more than happy to read. I think the premise is going to... I'm actually going to talk for the first time about it in some schools this week, so it's going to be very interesting. But I am going to do my utmost to um, get the teen boys on, on, on board with this. I've had some reaction from teen boys when they just hear the premise of, we don't like feminism. and <laughs> Nobody's mentioned it. You know, it's just this idea that, that of men and boys being wiped out is enough to, to really get some young men's backs up, and um, I don't want that to happen, so I'm going to try and deal with it.
0: <laughs>
2: jo? Yeah, I was just going to suggest that if you tell them that they can basically end a facility and they look at porn and Wankle day, they'll be quite happy with it. you can actually you're trapped in this place all you can do, all day long you don't have to do it at school <laughs> all and you can do all day long <laughs> is play computer games board board. Um, watch educational
0: videos, <laughs> 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 and, <laughs> and and then when's the movie coming up? let just described David
2: um, yeah, no, I think, yeah, a lot of them are gonna gonna love it. I think, I'm hoping also that, um, you know, just in terms of the story, that also Mason's gonna be good for them. They're gonna like Mason, because Mason is a survivor and a daredevil, and, you know, he's got a pretty good story going for himself there. So uh, I'm hoping it's gonna be all right. What can I say? (laughs) All right, we
0: have another question couple of things. First I wanted to lack of a better word commend you for your writing and say it's fantastic and uh, the only advice I'd give to you as a writer is just your audience don't deserve your explanation. You just need to tell them this is what is happening. They can figure it out themselves. Okay. That, I write music and you know, it's not, not impressive as a novel. But um, I wanted to ask you because in your uh, reading as it's, it's impressive as was it did touch on quite sensitive subjects, such as rape, which I felt was almost thrown in there, almost like a a trash bag in the wind. And I just wanted to know what was more your take on the more sensitive subjects that might appear in the novel. For example, rape came up, um, forceful eugenics, arguably, such as that. I I would be interested in your uh, your take on that, if possible. Thank you. you.
2: Thank you. Um, I think I went. <laughs> I think I, I went a little bit down the. I'm going to talk about the book and explain it. Root here, this, the this because I know most people. I think believe most people here are, are, are writers, and so I could, that's kind of why. Uh, so so that's that bit. And um, but you know, in terms of that, yeah, that probably did seem a bit random, actually. But the issue about, um, he, he does, he, Mason has a very um, twisted view, really, of women and girls. And so he either sees them as sex objects. I should say that in the, this t- tiny bit of a spoiler, but not, not really, that um, in the first instance, he doesn't even recognize, he doesn't even realize that River is a girl because she doesn't look like his idea of, of how a girl should, should be. He's, and uh, yeah, so he has a strange combination that's not exactly, perhaps, entirely unfamiliar of this kind of idea of woman as a sex object, um, but, but also as, a, as being kind of threatening and, and dangerous in some way. And he has been told, partly as a way of keeping the boys in in these sanctuaries they, they've been told many things that are wrong and, and one of them is they, they've been told if they get away that they'll die for sure but something worse could, could happen because if the women get a hold of you they'll rape you if they can and if not they'll just kill you so he's terrified of, of the reality of, of women and girls there are so many issues in the book, so many different things came up that, and some are much more, um, slight and subtle, so, um, there are things to do with nudity, there are things to do with biology, there are things, there's a whole chapter called Boys Don't Cry, um, and, uh, yeah, it's, there's a whole load of stuff that I chucked in there, um, I say chucked in there? It came up during the course of the story.
3: But you're trying to sound more professional here. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: so yes, there are many things, and I probably read that probably did come come up We did sound a bit shocking. Sorry about that. No, no problem. But that is his belief.
0: Yeah. Oh, thank you. By the way, as far as I'm concerned, the audience of science fiction fans, even if they're not writers, they will love the. Air. to us, that stuff is. Anyway, I should get back briefly just into your Chinese novel, Mm. that it's sounding like it's going to be a a bit of a a political thriller, Mm. a civil war and stuff, is is, Mm. is that something you can talk about? Yeah,
1: yeah, it is. Um, I actually decided to write about the the Great War and written a short story for for an anthology with, with Pete and uh, you know, based on agent's I got interested in walls. <laughs> that's <what laughs> one does. Realize there's so many goddamn walls in the world. Unbelievable number of walls that people have. In, in, in your back garden there's a wall. You know what I, mean? I know we live in four walls, but anyway. The, the trace was that you know I followed through, read some stuff on the Great Wall, came across this picture of the, of the end of the Great War in the city. I thought, what's in the sea? It's just something to be in the sea. Because you see these great pictures of it spanning hills and valleys and, and you know, great mountain ranges. And there's this bit right at the end, of in the sea. You know, and that, that's when I sort of read that they call it the old dragon, and the old dragon's head. And that's that's the kind of working title of the novel, the old dragon's head. Um, so then I thought, well, what, what, what is this dragon? What's it mean? What does it do? backstory on that and again no spoilers so you're going to have to really know to find out what the dragon does what does it when it does it and it's set against you know um the background of, of, of a civil war uh, in the Ming dynasty which was true I and mean, a lot of the facts are true um, and i tried to base it on as much historical facts as i could um you know I, I went to as many experts as I could. Some of them helped, some of them didn't. You know, it's the VA, British Museum, um, you know, Asian experts. Um, I found uh, a couple of people in Bristol have been helpful. Some people want to help, some people are very busy and just can't, you know, so you take whatever well, you can. Um, and I've actually found that the, the Chinese culture of the time was was so, <laughs> was so superstitious about. That depicting a supernatural thriller was basically what they were doing anyway. There was nothing to write about except what they were doing. You know, I I read a a tract which actually was based on a commentary on on this thing called the Great Ming Code, which was written by the first Ming Emperor, which is basically about what rules they should have to keep heaven satisfied. And that's how it's written. There's all these rituals. How people had to go on, how many times they had to count out the emperor, how many days after a person died they, could, they had to do this, then they had to do that. You know? It's all supernatural stuff. It's wonderful. Just as a writer, you just get
0: to choose which one's worth. So we've seen Justin moving from like Egypt to Babylon or to China. Uh, obviously, when you're writing for something like that, whether the are. Presumably, as you said, it's going to be to say, this is what sells. this is what we'd really like you to do. But um, is the way that I get bored with do dystopias sometime soon, <laughs> and have to <laughs> do, do something else? <laughs> I
2: hope not. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. I think, I think there are, uh, this gets said from time to time. I think it last got said a couple of years ago, when people just, you know, dystopias so over, people they're not gonna, um, teens aren't gonna buy them anymore, teens aren't gonna read them. Um, Personally, I think it will go on and on and teens will always um, read um, dystopias in particular, partly because their lives, very often, are little mini dystopias. I I mean that absolutely with all my heart Um, and they also contain that many teens' lives, um, I guess, also contain all the basic kind of story conflict elements that you'd find in a dystopia, so that they've got this kind of, you know, the the conf- level of conflict within yourself because you're just you're changing, you're becoming the person you know that you're going to be in the future. It's a it's a very it's an age of great change. So you've got your internal conflict, you've got your interpersonal conflict with your peers, and your, and nine times out of ten, oh, I'm having that fair, I don't know, but with your family, you'll certainly, you know, certainly remember having that level of conflict, and you've got this other level of, you know, conflict between yourself and the wider world, so I think that, um, I mean, that those are basic story ingredients, but they're hugely um, important in, in dystopias, so I think there's a natural affinity between teens and, and dystopias. On a, and, and to just say in a kind of slightly more positive way um, very much more positive way also I think you know Justin was saying something similar that it's it's also about reimagining and remaking the, the world. It's it's your you know a, a dystopia is a marvelous opportunity as a writer to kind of think well if I smash all this up what will I build instead and how will I build it and for and to engage readers in thinking, if I was in this smashed up place, you know, how would it be? How would I rebuild it? I think um, that they're, they're really, weirdly, very encouraging, optimistic stories very often. I say one other time thing, and, and so often. <laughs> the waffle card in the air, uh, and so often about, uh, you know, the, the big things in, in, in life, uh, you know, about right and wrong and truth and justice and courage and all these elements get get um, thrown in there. So they're very, um, you know, kind of stirring, I guess, and weirdly uplifting stories that I think, for the reasons that I've discussed, uh, uh, described particularly appeal to teens.
0: Yeah, just remembering one of my favourite stories as a teenager was something called The Day of the Triffids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How was yeah. it? So it's, it's sort of two things here. Firstly, um, as a bookseller, um, dystopia there's a lot of chaff, a lot of really not so good stuff in between mm-hmm. everything else. And it's actually the unique dystopia that actually we like to sell, and yours is one of the unique ones that come out recently that is selling lots more than others. There's lots of little ones which don't work so well. Second of all, um, your book, The Writing of it, the prologue, is written really well third person. I love it. Um, are you going to write in third person more?
2: I think I think I might do. I, the next one, I think I'm going to. I think I need to do something different. The first, um, So these first three books have all been written um, first person. Um, but I just, in the first two books, the, the main character and I, uh, our personalities practically merged. I <laughs> mean, at the end of the two years or whatever it was, year and a half, I, 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 we had to separate because it had got out of hand. Um, and uh, it took a very long time, actually, to separate from Ruby, her name is. And this book was completely different. Um, I struggled really uh, hard. It was so difficult to hear River's voice in a way that really hurt, it hurt and upset me, because I couldn't imagine what. This girl. It was such a struggle to imagine what this girl, who was grown up in a, it's making me emotional now, um, who was grown up in a world so different to mine, how what she would sound like and, and how she would think and um, how she would behave. It, it was painful and and really hard. I think I just about got her voice in the end, but gosh, that was difficult. Okay. Okay.
0: Joe, you you had a question.
2: Yeah, it was more of a question about dystopias. Do you think one of the things that appeals to teenage readers is the fact that in a lot of them, it's a very easy way to get rid of the parents <laughs> and suddenly have yourself, um, you know, being responsible. Because I remember, I, I read a lot when I was a teenager, I was obviously you know, one of those, um, but I certainly remember reading Child of the Dust and where the mother was there, but she kind of did, she was a stepmother and she kind of, divorced herself from the children, was just kind of sitting in the corner. Uh, and Sandra Zachariah was the other one that, that stuck in my head. Well, again, there were, they were no parents. Um, so do you think that that's part of the sort of universal appeal, the, the idea that you can get rid of the parents and make the world the way that you want it? Wow, that's such a good point, I and mean, I think I think you're um, absolutely right uh, about that. I mean, again, not just in a negative way. This kind of fantasy of you know, what if they just went away? <laughs> what if I could just dispose of them? But but in a very positive way to um, where that's again that's part of teenage them, isn't it? That you're this kind of discovering how to be your own independent person, and so a dystopia in a sense presents you with the perfect imaginative opportunity of, you know, surviving on my own. I mean, it's where you're headed anyway, but it enables you to imagine that. Plus, certainly in the the first two books, of The the Rain and the Storm, I mean, it's a pretty grim story, and it's very scary, and it's very horrible, but I always do a big sell on it with with the teens. Let's think about the positive things about the apocalypse. Because (laughs) everyone's dead, so you can have whatever you want. You can take whatever you want. You can do whatever you want because no one's going to stop you. And, and they quite like that.
0: <laughs> Key, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> now, sounds good to me. Um, so, we've got any other questions from the audience. Yeah. Well,
3: just going back to your... Uh, I'm not sure whether I should ask this, but going back to your um, you said about your male protagonist, Mason, in, in, in the story, and you said that um, he doesn't really know anything about women because he's only seen his like porn and, and stuff. And then you said that uh, after you said that he kind of he kind of ex- expects that women will just sort of like murder and and rape him if he encounters them along sort of like Suddenly, yeah. I'm really curious as to what subgenre of porn he's been looking at. I just. Curiosity. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <I'm> just... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably a spoiler to us. They're cool when he innocently turns
0: up to fix their fridge <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: I so to end with somebody <laughs> being so, well, being so. <laughs> so yeah, give me that microphone back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this really is a c- career changer to record this He hasn't got that. I'm sure that there probably is a whole sub-genre, in fact, I'm, yeah, absolutely. But that's not where he's got those ideas from. That's what he has been told he's been told a lot of wrong things about the outside world. And so for him, um, uh, that's one of the things he's been told that he is likely to be raped or or killed uh, and killed. Um, Yeah, he's been told a lot of wrong things. And so his story is, uh, you know, kind of runs parallel um, with with Rivers and his is like an unraveling because the world is not how he,
0: has been led uh, to believe, and it's really traumatizing for him. Mm. Yeah, he's very disturbed by it. Anybody got any questions not involving porn?
3: (laughs) It's also just,
1: um, so have you been reading a lot of um, Chinese books, uh, fiction, Chinese fiction, Um, and you mentioned about that whole supernatural aspect. Um, so, what, what sort of Chinese um, folk tale kind of things, to you if you brought in? Uh, y- yes, I had actually. Um, it's quite difficult to find. Um, I tried to read novels written at the time or set in the time. Um, written in the time is, is difficult. There weren't that many. Um, but there were a few, um, quite hard to read at times. But I was after background information about people's lives, the way they thought, customs, um, dress, food. You know, just how people got on. You know, what their values, were as, as best I could. You know, and, and it's really not that much different to European board society of their time. Um, I only read one or two non-fiction books, and one modern, um, modern story uh, set in Ming The Times, which I found quite useful. Um, it was a guy called The Dutch Guy, actually, in um an ambassador in China. Who's written a series of stories called Judge D, D E W? And he included a lot of background information, which I found really useful, about how trials were conducted and things like that. Um, <clears throat> one of my points of view characters was a magistrate in, in, in the story. So, yeah, um, I've also um, read in, in the background sort of Chinese philosophy type stuff. So, the annals, the Tao Te Ching, the Bao Taoism, which I found really quirkly interesting and eccentric to read. So yeah, quite a bit of varied background. And actually, just to go back to Gerald's earlier question, actually, I did do some research on childbirth and the pregnancy
0: time. Yeah, Gavriel Kay's got a couple of books set in China. I think the first one is, is possibly the in Indian school. The Horses of Heaven. Which one? Yeah. Um, I can't remember the title. The Horses of Heaven or Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I can look that up for you. I know Chas Brent written a bunch of Chinese books as well, but I've got no idea what period they're set in. There aren't a few around. Anybody else got any questions? Yeah, come on.
3: training five minutes. Um, yes, yeah, Victoria. Religion, the major world religions are very male focused and dominated. How did you deal with that? Well, I'll find out when I read it. What thought processes did you go through on that?
0: Wouldn't you rather talk about porn? <laughs> In
2: private, <laughs> you know, what's the difference? Well, you know, you tell me, you just said it. So when I thought about this world, and I thought, well, it's not just that the earth facing half the world's population pretty much wiped out in a very, very short space of time. Um, but I also had to think about, uh, you know, all those areas of life that are currently male-dominated, particularly work, uh, yeah, work um, situations. um, And I guess religion is one of those work situations. (laughs) Um, So yes, in this story, it's really, oh, there you go. um, Yeah, it's really, uh, religions have really crumbled massively. Few people are, now, few people that we get to hear about in this story which just takes place in one small village that lives in one particular way. Although we have some, we are introduced to some other stuff going on in the world. But, but yeah, religion's crumbled again almost overnight. And, uh, But there was emotionally, I think, off the back of, of what happened, um, that there was not the kind of an uptake of them again, because the, the devastation and the, the Grief, the global grief involved. People just, not only did religions crumble in practical terms, but emotionally people um, turned their back to a large extent. Some of the grandmothers' generation uh, are still believers and, and, and practice. And Mason, is part of his upbringing is, um, is religious. Yeah, so he, again, that's the difference between him and, and what's going on in the outside world.
0: questions? Well, in which case, does anybody have any announcements? If anyone hasn't got a book yet, we're back there, books on the hill. <laughs> <laughs> we have tea as well, and we've just launched our website where you can buy fancy and samurai books, Mike, including Cheryl's books as well. <laughs> anybody else? Hey, Thanks Announce- somebody yeah. yeah, 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 somebody's going to make an announcement about the World Fantasy Awards. Shall I do it? Yeah. The World <laughs> Fantasy Award Shortlists were yeah. announced. British Fantasy Award. British Fantasy Award Shortlists were announced uh, at the weekend, and a number of people in this room are on those lists. Pete has been shortlisted for Best Collection. For a Tiny Black yeah. Pants, which is your first book. Yeah, it is. So that, that's that's mm-hmm. quite achievement there keynote. So, yeah. And in Best Anfoggy there's a book called Fight Like a Girl, yeah. edited by Joanne Holder Ross Clark. And uh, ooh, now there's there's best independent press. There's yeah. Nicole's group one? Somebody in this room might be an editor or... Oh, yes, yes. And then there's best novel. Four which? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Have oh, no. <laughs> fun. the yeah. <laughs> so goddess, okay. yeah. of the chamber goddess the chamber of the chamber of I chamber will the chamber of for chamber of the chamber of the chamber of the of well. chamber of of the End of End of September. End of September. chamber of the chamber of the yeah. right. the subject of the um, the Clark of the is going the be... Um, next week, 27th or something, like that. Our Our M this is up for it. And if all goes according to plan, then on Thursday night, M and I will be on Made in Bristol Tave TV on the Crunch of the Week show. I'm not entirely sure what time, but we'll be somewhere on that show. And we'll be talking about the Clark Award, and we'll be talking about the Hugos. And we will doubtless now also be talking about Tea and Jeopardy because, if you haven't seen, the, uh, the World programming schedule is out, and there will be a live episode of Team Jeopardy in which the guest will be George R. R. Martin. Hello. Emma uh, has promised that it is going to be recorded, for those of you who can't be yet, so, uh, but uh, Pete and I, at least, will, will make an effort to, to get along there. So yes, we will have to talk about Teenage Jetty in Dallas, We will have to talk about Doctor Who as well. <laughs> so fingers crossed. That's all. happening. watch my Twitter feed and the Twitter feed for when we likely to be on. Any other announcements?
3: Toss it. I've done really well. I've actually looked it up, so I'm actually <laughs> impressed. this yes, It's the twenty-first of August. Uh, so the Monday of August. So we actually have one of the uh, Fight Like a Girl. Uh, authors uh, we have Dolly Garland uh, so sort of coming over from London certainly love to see Dolly and we have Lucy Henson uh, with her second book in the Starborn series Heartland um, and uh, she'll have copies of the book and so uh, yeah she'll be giving us a preview of Heartland so we've got uh, Lucy and Dolly uh, next month right oh that's another thing we're not in this room we're in this building but for those who are coming we're going to be in the restaurant downstairs so it's just behind the bar just keep going right Uh, But there'll be these little posters and things, you'll find us. I saw Dolly last week at the
2: launch of the best British sf 2016 in London, and she said she was very looking forward to it. Yes, yes, I'm
3: looking forward to it too. So, uh, Mm -hmm. so, uh, yes, if you can come down next month, um, just know that we're downstairs. So, we're closer to the main bar and there's no stairs, so that's great. (laughs) Um, Okay, that's all well.
0: And if Pete and Em winner Hugo for two in jeopardy, I will try my best to bully them into bringing it along so you can all see it. All right, I think we're done. Thank Thank you very much. Thank you. The Bristol Con Fringe is a monthly podcast produced by the Bristol Con Foundation. The music at the beginning of this podcast is The Future by Chevy 174. We'd like to thank the famous Royal Navy volunteer for providing us with a venue and we'd like to thank you for listening. If you would like to keep up to date with our events, please like our Bristol Con Fringe page on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at brisconfringe.